little bit just to really it's a good young man. I want to put that picture up here. I'm not going to make this entire service about him, but I want you to just I want to give you just a foundation of my remarks today. <clears throat> this was a picture that Cindy took last summer now. Wouldn't have been this summer, but the previous summer out at church camp. And this is him praying with Jude. Just a young man, just just following after the calling of God. And then this just this past Sunday, tragically in a motorcycle accident, he lost his life just one week ago today. And it's it's news of something su- such with such tragedy and suddenness that every once in a while in life, even those with the strongest faith, it just has a way of just shaking you. Amen. And this week I've just been contemplating just every once in a while you deal with these tragedies that are seemingly unexplainable. We were with good friends of ours this week who they were like family members and I'll never forget just within a matter of 24 hours their beautiful little girl, the Shonks, went from just a little sickness to little more serious of a cold they took her in and within 24 hours she had lost her life and it brought back all of these emotions and these feelings because every once in a while life has a way of just rocking you and it's in those times that we have to really bore down and get a hold of our faith in God and I began thinking through these things this week. I, 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 as I mentioned, I didn't intend on preaching on this, but I was directed just, just to the book of Job and to a story of a man who encountered great suffering in his life. And it's here in the book of Job that we find some of the answers, or maybe more importantly, some of the questions that we oftentimes, if we're being honest, we find ourselves asking in life. And so today, I want to begin a two-part series, a sermon, a message, a teaching, a lesson, whatever. And I want to just begin to deal with some of these, some of these questions. And I want to take your attention to the book of Job, beginning in verse 2, when the Bible says, And there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came among them to present himself before the Lord also. We find here... In Scripture, the presence of both good and evil. That in this world, there is both good and evil. There is a God who is good. Amen? There's a God that is loving. There is a God that is kind. There is a God, the Bible says, whom is our heavenly Father. In other words, whom all creation comes from. We're created in His image with His purpose for His glory. But there is also at work within this world a very real evil if you're not aware of this, it doesn't take very long just looking at the headlines or just realizing what's taking place in the world. There is a spirit of evil. There is a spirit of darkness. The Bible says that that spirit would simply want to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And while we have a loving Heavenly Father that is gracious and kind and merciful, there is also this other presence in this world. The Bible says that here they were standing before God. And the scripture says, it goes on to say, And the Lord says to Satan, From where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro 
on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth. Get this, he's a blameless man and he's an upright man and he's a man who fears God and who shuns evil and still he holds fast to his integrity although you have incited me against him to destroy him without cause. He suffered, he's faced adversity, he's struggled, he's lost and nevertheless he's maintained his integrity, his worship and his faith in me. Look what Satan says. He challenges the Lord and he answered and said, Skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But if you stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. He was in such pain. He had lost his family. He had lost his belongings. He had lost his business. He had lost his servants. And now he's been struck with this sickness. The scripture would describe it was such that he was literally in such pain. He was sitting in the ashes of the dirt and he was scraping these boils off of his body with pieces of broken pottery. And then his wife said to him, if it wasn't bad enough, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Just curse God and die. Would you just look at your life, Joe? Would you just look at where our life has gone? Would you just look at what has happened to us? Would you just look at what's transpired? Would you just look at the circumstances around us? You can't tell me that in light of all of the trouble we've had, the problems we've endured, the pain we're suffering, you can't tell me that God is good. You can't tell me that God still cares. You can't tell me that God's hand is still upon our life. And so she says, why don't you just curse God and die? But he says in this, despite everything that's happened, you speak as one of these foolish women who speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? The reason I'm going to be preaching two weeks on this subject is because as I begin really getting into this text, I realize I can't fit it all into just one lesson today. And I had to make a, an executive decision. Am I going to Am I going to cram it all into connection point and give them a long sermon or am I going to break it up? And for your benefit, I'm going to break it up. But there's something very profound here because oftentimes we read this, shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? He didn't necessarily say that the adversity or the evil comes from God also. He says that it's God that gives us the goodness. It's God that brings us good things. It's God that helps us and blesses us. We serve a good God, but shall we live this life and only accept the good things from God and not also be able to endure the adversities, the struggles, and the trials that come with life as well? And nevertheless, in all these things, Job did not sin with his lips. Amen. 
I want to just try just over the next two weeks, beginning today, to just begin to minister. We're going to just kind of lay a foundation today and talk about some of these things. But for the next few moments, I want to just begin to preach on this simple subject. I know better than that. Amen. Amen. Are you going to put your trust in God no matter what happens? No matter what the world says? No matter the circumstances in your life? Come on, no matter what the politicians may say, no matter what the culture may say, no matter what academia may say, come on, are you going to put your faith in a God that is merciful, that is kind, that is loving. Come on, I want to just know, do you know better than, do you know that you know that you know that you know that God is true and that God is real and that God is faithful? Amen. Can we put our hands together and just worship the Lord right now? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. We pray that you would bless this, this lesson. I pray that you would minister and encourage and help us today. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We ask it in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Thank you for standing. And you may be seated. I know better than that. Amen. Amen. Well, there was a, a recent survey that was released, and it was done so with a questionnaire involved, and it was focusing on active church members or active Christians throughout the United States. And the purpose of this particular survey or questionnaire was to identify what Christians would consider to be their most often read book of the Bible. And so there was a very clear response that came back. But before I share with you the, the findings of that simple little survey, I would just like to ask, would anyone say that there's one particular book of the Bible that, that you read more than any other book? Would anyone say maybe the, the book of Matthew? Anyone want the book of Acts, perhaps? Prov Psalms? Psalms, anyone else? Anyone else? There you go. Well... As a matter of fact, we're right on target here at Connection Point Church. And those results came back, sure enough, more than Matthew, more than Mark, more than Luke, more than John, more than Revelation, more than Proverbs, more than going through the lineages of the book of Numbers and Leviticus. I know that's a popular read for many of you here today. The most often read portion of Scripture among church-attending North Americans or people in the United States was by far the book of Psalms. And it was this survey that would indicate that as Christians, as the body of Christ, that there is a very clear and popular uh, response, and that is simply that, that Christians have found comfort in reading that book of the Bible that would remind us that no matter what we're going through, no matter what circumstances we may be facing in life, whether we're high or whether we're low, whether we're happy or whether we're sad, we come back to that book of the Bible that reminds us that our God is a refuge and a strength. Can I get an amen? That He is the God that is worthy to be praised that He is a God who is our shepherd, who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death, that He is our light and He is our salvation, that He is an ever-present help 
in the time of trouble. Oh, come on, somebody. That like David said that no matter what I'm going through, no matter what circumstances I may be facing in life, that, that I will bless the Lord at all times and that his praises shall continually be in my mouth. I'll never forget that time that my dear friend Ray Lindsay, who had lost his wife tragically to cancer, that just that midnight hour that he was experiencing as he was there alone, left to raise his children, and now he's sitting there in his apartment alone. He called me over just in the days following the passing of his wife, and I sat there in that living room with him and listened to him talk about his wife weeping and crying. I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't have enough life experience to shed any sort of wisdom, and it was there in that moment that the only thing that I could think of was to just simply open the book of Psalms, and we began reading the Psalms together, and we began putting our trust back in the Lord and worshiping God in the midst of the sorrow and in in the midst of the sadness, there was something reassuring, comforting, and stabilizing about coming back to that source to recognize and to realize that our God is still our refuge and our God is still our light and our God is still our salvation. I want to suggest to you today that while the, the book of the Bible that is read most often may be the book of Psalms, brings us comfort, it brings us joy, it brings us peace. I want to just suggest, if I can, that perhaps the most relatable book of the Bible is the book of Job. The reason I say that to you today is because even if you've never read the book of Job for yourself, if you perhaps couldn't even tell me where to find the book of Job and you'd always thought it was a job listing perhaps, it was a, a place to read about the resumes of the people in the Bible. You don't know the book of Job from the book of Job. Nevertheless, I suggest to you today that at some point in your life that you are going to walk in the same shoes as Job. At some point that every Bible-carrying, church-going, praise-and-worshiping Christian is going to find themselves in some circumstances and some situations that are absolutely unexplainable tragedies in your life, unexplainable loss, unforeseen sickness, undeserved adversity. And because of this, each and every one of us will find ourselves at some point like Job, lifting up our eyes to heaven, not necessarily in praise, not necessarily in prayer, but if we're going to be honest, we're lifting our eyes towards heaven to ask the question that so many of us have asked in life, simply, God, why? Why would I get cancer in my body? Why would you take someone like Quincy? Why would this happen now? Why would these circumstances happen in my life. If we're all being honest, we will all find ourselves in situations and circumstances in our life where we are reeling to understand, God, where are you in my life? Why am I going through what I'm going through? And Lord, how am I going to get through this set of circumstances? So this brings us to this scripture that we've read from this morning in the book of Job from which I've drawn our text. And, and while Job is not necessarily the first book of our Bible chronologically. Many scholars, most scholars would agree that Job 
is in fact the oldest book of your Bible. And that would, that would make sense this morning because Job begins to wrestle with a question that is as old as life itself, this age-old question that everyone that has ever walked by faith will ever ask, and that is simply how can God allow bad things to happen to good people? You see, the book of Job wrestles with this issue of suffering, and it, it does so from the perspective of a person who didn't necessarily deserve what he was living through. We can, we can understand someone that does some egregious thing, and we can understand someone that's lived what we would consider a horrible, terrible life experiencing hardship because we understand on some level that everyone reaps what they sow. But when we deal with these situations, in life where someone is suffering in the seemingly undeserved fashion. It leaves us wrestling with the same questions that Job is wrestling with in this tension between his faith and his doubt. That while his faith tells him that God is loving and his faith tells him that God is good and his faith tells him that God is merciful at the exact same time his real life experiences are painful, are difficult, and are full of sorrow. And so Job spends the season of his life that we read about in the book of Job experiencing these questions and wrestling with these issues of how can an all-powerful all-knowing, all-merciful God who has the power to control and do everything He wants to allow us to face struggles and trials and hardships in our life. How can a God love us and yet allow us to suffer? So the book of Job, it's an important book as we look at it this morning. In doing so, we recognize two very significant realities of life. The very first reality that we understand as we read the book of Job is found just in the first few verses as you open the book of Job, and that is simply that Job was committed to God, that Job was faithful to God. In fact, in Job chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible tells us that he was blameless, that he was upright, that he feared God, that Job shunned evil, and the scripture would even go on to say that God bragged on Job, saying that there is no man like Job. And yet we still read that Job, despite being blameless, Job, despite being good to Job, despite fearing God and being committed, nevertheless we find that this faithful, committed, and godly man experienced great suffering and great turmoil in his life. And that ought to make us as believers here today come to a very sobering reality in life and that is simply that if a man as righteous as Job can, can experience in the ordeals of life that he experienced, that even us here today who are not as righteous and not as, as committed perhaps and not as faithful as Job, that we too should be able to expect that in life that we are going to deal with sorrows and in life that we're going to deal with sickness in life, that we are going to deal with hardships, that if bad things can happen to Job, then we understand that bad things can happen to good people. There's another very profound lesson that we understand here as we read through the story of Job. And that second thing is worth noting this morning because not only did Job suffer, but we understand that it seemed like at certain points in Job's life and in the midst of his suffering, Job just could not seem 
to catch a break. If it wasn't one thing for Job, it was another thing. It was at times just unbearable. At times the things in Job's life went from bad to worse to even worse still. It seemed like it was one thing after another, after another, after another, after another, which would cause us to take a step back and read about the trials and the tribulations of this man, Job, and recognize that life sometimes seems so seemingly unfair. That not only do bad things at times happen to good people, but sometimes just life has a way of getting us to a place where we don't understand why, we don't understand how, we don't understand that just how life could seem and feel so unfair. And so we go to this man by the name of Job who's wrestling with these, these profound questions in his life. And we find here in Job chapter 1 that the scripture would show us an insight into the spiritual realm that the sons of God had been gathering together to present themselves before God. And the, and the Bible would tell us that as the sons of God or the direct creations of God, the angels of heaven were there presenting themselves before the presence of the Almighty God, that somehow in some way Satan himself, the very embodiment of evil, the very embodiment of darkness, the very embodiment of all the pain and turmoil that we've experienced in this world as a result of sin, then he too found a way to present himself before the sons of God in the presence of God. It was here that the Bible says that as Satan is presenting himself before God, that God speaks to Satan. He, he asks him, have you considered? He said, where have you been, Satan? And Satan responds to God, I've been roaming to and fro throughout the earth, just doing what I do, I guess. And God replies back to Satan, have you considered my servant, Job? And Satan looks back at the Lord and he begins to respond to God and challenge God and say that, yes, I've seen Job, but I I'll tell you, the only reason that Job serves you, the only reason that Job worships you is because you have put a hedge of protection around about his life. You've blessed him and you've prospered him and you've protected him and he's one of those church folk that everything is just all hunky-dory. But I want to tell you, if you remove the blessings that you've put on Job's life, I'm going to tell you, Job will curse you to your face. And God being one to never walk away from a challenge. He replies back to Satan, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to allow you to have your way with Job. But you can't touch his life. So the Bible says that Satan goes back to the earth and Job begins to enter into a season of a threefold tragedy. He begins to deal and reel with some unbearable and unbelievable experiences. The Bible tells us that the very first thing that Job experiences here in just the first few chapters of this book is that he first begins to lose all of his possessions and his wealth, that his sheep and his oxen and all of the camels of his pastures are stolen. And his servant sees what has happened, runs to tell Job of the terrible news, and just within just the same conversation, yet another servant comes. And while Job is reeling with the reality that he's just lost his business, he's just lost his wealth, he's just lost his finances, then he receives the news that a group of Chaldeans have now come through and killed all of your servants, all of your hired hands, all of your employees have all been taken away. And as 
Job is wondering how could things ever get any worse than what I'm dealing with and reeling with right now. Then he gets one more piece of bad news. The Bible says yet another servant comes and says that Job, I don't know how to tell you this. There's been a tragic disaster. And as a result, all ten of your children have died. It was here that Job finds himself in a moment in life where many of us have found ourselves before a time or two when we're dealing with and we're reeling with the reality that, that some bad things have happened and it doesn't seem very fair and that I don't know how I'm going to get through this set of circumstances. I don't know how I'm going to get through the pain that I'm feeling. I don't know how I'm going to wake up to the morning in the midst of this midnight hour. And we're here finding ourselves wrestling with the realities of our life. But there was something about Job's faith that we've got to get a hold of here today that despite his pain and despite his suffering by the end of chapter 1, having seemingly lost everything, that he had even had that Job makes the confession that we must all make today which is simply that the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away but blessed be the name of the Lord. I want to tell you today that we have got to allow ourselves in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering to make the same declaration of faith that Job made that I'm not worshiping God because of my circumstances. I'm not worshiping God because of, of the situations I'm in but I'm worshiping God because he is real because he is true because he is good Job's faith said despite my circumstances I know better than to assume that I worship and my faith and my hope is based upon just the rewards of my righteousness but my faith is based upon the realities of God. So we find that Job decides that in this trial and in this tragic set of circumstances that he was able to dig deep somehow in some way and find a faith to stay resolute in his commitment to the things of God. But that's just chapter 1. Because the Bible says that as you turn the page of Job's life, we find another chapter where we find that it seems as though Job, Job can't seem to catch a break. That if life didn't seem unfair already, having lost his business, having lost his servants, having lost his children, the Bible says that now Satan appears a second time. And God asks Satan, the Bible says, have you considered my servant who kept his integrity despite his sufferings. You've killed his servants, you've stolen his wealth, you've destroyed his family, yet nevertheless Job has declared his commitment and his faithfulness to God. Nevertheless, Job trusts me in the midst of his suffering. Job has worshipped me in the midst of his sorrow. And it was here that Satan responds back to God in Job chapter 2 and begins to challenge the Lord one more time. It says the only reason that he worships you is because you didn't allow me to a 
attack his health. If you will allow me, get this, to touch his bones and his flesh, he will curse you to your face. And so the Bible says that God allows Satan to go back and to begin to, uh, to, to deal with Job as he would. And the Bible tells us that these painful boils begin to come all over Job's body. That, that he's sitting in the dust of the earth and he's scraping his wounds with pieces of pottery. And he's pushed to the very brink of the limit of what a man could ever possibly take. He's lost his possessions. He's lost his cattle. He's lost his sheep. He's lost his camels. He's lost his servants. He's lost his children. And now he's doing everything he can just to maintain the little sliver of faith that he's got left when all of the sudden we find when it seems like life couldn't get any more unfair. The Bible tells us that we're introduced to Mrs. Job. The scripture says that Mrs. Job, Job's wife, begins to enter into the narrative. And while we don't know much about Job's wife, we're never given her first name. This is the only appearance in Scripture where Job's wife is found. She only speaks in one verse of the Bible, but nevertheless, the four words that she speaks will be notorious for all of eternity. When in the midst of his pain, his sorrow, and his suffering, we find that Job's wife comes to Job having evaluated the situations that they're in in life, and says, Job, look at you. Look at everything that we've experienced. Look at everything that we've endured. Look at everything that we're going through. And nevertheless, here you are still carrying on as if your faith is still in God, as if God's hand is still upon you, as if God is still with you, as if God is still favoring you. Job, would you just curse God and die. And it's here we find that Job seemingly is at his lowest moment. But I want to just stop for a moment. As we're introduced to this second figure in this story, I want to just stop because something was made aware to me as I was reading through this text. That while we're quick to condemn Job's wife, we're quick to condemn the comments and the confessions that she made, we have to first consider what we have to first realize is that everything that Job had suffered, that Job's wife had suffered right along with him. That Job's wife was there as he was building his business. Job's wife had built relationships with all of these servants and all of these hired hands. Job's wife, of every one of those children that Job lost, it was Job's wife that gave birth to each and every single one of those children. And now she is reeling with and dealing with the same pain and the same sorrow. And if it seemed like life couldn't get any worse, now she sees this man, this godly man that she has stood by and stood with who has been faithful and committed to God. And now she sees the suffering that this man is enduring. And she finally reached a point in her life where she could not take any more 
And in that moment of weakness, having seen everything that they were endured, she allowed her doubt, she allowed her rage, she allowed her insecurities to speak out. She says, I've just decided I can't do it anymore. I'm not going to hold on anymore. Job, you just need to curse God and die. I want to just stop and say that before we judge a person and the way that they deal with their sorrows and their suffering, the way that they deal with the affliction that they're experiencing in their life, I want us just to stop and say before we judge a person that is in the season of remorse and sorrow that this woman was in, we've got to be careful to make sure that we don't judge too quickly before we know exactly what's going on in a person's life. We can't lash out at a person for who's dealing with sorrow and pain. We've got to be careful how we put our words on a person and, and put our judgment on a person that's dealing with things that on the inside that we can't understand. We look on the outside circumstances. We look on the outside situations and we assume we know, but we never truly know what someone is truly going through until we walk a mile in their shoes. You see, Job's wife had gotten to a point where she had just decided that the thought of dying was, was better than the thought of continuing to live. And so we find that she was here. She was in this place of sorrow and she was in this place of suffering. And even though we have to be sympathetic to all of the loss she had encountered and all of the experiences she had dealt with, what I've come to just tell you is nevertheless... We find that she made this confession of doubt and distrust in God. It's here that we have to understand what I want to just bring home to you today. That despite what our experiences may be, we have to learn something from this woman, this wife of Job. We recognize that the words she speaks begin to influence Job in an ultimately evil manner. We find in Job chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, that Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to his face. You see, it was ultimately about Job's integrity. It was ultimately about getting to Job. And, and Satan realized the first time that if he can take away Job's family, and he can take away Job's finances, and he can take away everything that Job has built, that Job is still going to serve God. The first time Satan came to God, he said, let me take away everything and Job will curse you to your face. And he realized that despite the circumstances and the situations in his life, that Job was still going to worship, that Job was still going to pray, that Job was still going to maintain his integrity. And so notice what Satan came and said the second time. If you allow me to touch his bone and his flesh. Now notice the difference here. Everything but his, now his bone and his flesh. Let me take everything, but now let me take his bone and his flesh. As I was studying this, I began to think, how come if Satan had the power to take everything from Job, he took his children, he took his business, he took his, his, his hired servants, how come he didn't also take his wife? But we find something interesting here is that Satan used this opportunity to get to Job's flesh and bone. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, the Bible says that a husband and wife is bone of bone and flesh of flesh. 
And Satan realized if I can't get to him through the external circumstances in his life, I'm going to get to him by the voice that is closest to him in his life. I want to tell you today that when the enemy cannot take away your pride, your, your, your prayer, your faith, your, your joy, your hope because of the external circumstances in his life, your life that Satan will then begin to try to speak into your life doubt, speak into your life faithfulness, speak into your life hopelessness. I want to tell you that it's in those seasons in these times when you find yourself at the lowest point down and out that Satan is going to try to get you to curse God and just die Satan is going to try to tell you that your life is not worth living, that you just need to give up on church, that God doesn't care about you, that things are never going to get better, that there's no point in worshiping, no point in praying, that God has forgotten you and God has forsaken you. But I've just come to tell somebody today that nevertheless, like Job, we've got to be resolute in our faith and understand that our God still liveth. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I want to tell you that nevertheless, despite the voices in his life despite the circumstances in his life Job remained true to his confession that God is real and that God is good and that God is true and I'm going to stand on the goodness of the Lord and nevertheless despite everything that he was enduring and encountering in his life, Job remained true to the fact that blessed be the name of the Lord I want to tell you today that before Satan can take you down, before Satan can destroy you, before Satan can accomplish his will and his purpose in his life, he's first got to get your confession of faith. I want to tell you today, the Bible tells us, but nevertheless, greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. This world confesses doubt. This world confesses uh, hopelessness. This world confesses that there's no point in serving God. There's no point in living for God. There's no point in walking with God. But I want to tell you, there's something greater greater than the confession of this world and that is the faith and the determination of a child of God to say I know that I know that I know it doesn't matter what the world it doesn't matter what my family says it doesn't matter what they I'm still going to serve God because I know better than that I wonder if there's anyone in the house today that can stand to your feet and say listen you can't tell me that God is not real you can't tell me because God has healed me God has delivered me God has Save me. God is way to. I may be going through trouble. I may be going through trial. I may be going through some difficult times in my life, but I know that I know that God is real. Remain standing with me today. I want to tell you as we embark on this short journey, the very first thing that Satan is going to try to do, if he can't get you. To denounce your faith in God through the external circumstances of your life, Satan is going to find a way to get into that inner ear, that voice of those who are closest to you, who are nearest to you, and those who are dearest to you, to try to deter you and to detract you from serving God. It may be from a friend, it may be from a peer, it may be from a professor, it may be from a family member, it may be even someone in your own home. But what I want to tell you is we've got to learn, like Job learned, that nevertheless I know better than that. I know that I know that I know that I know that I'm going to serve God. I don't know about you, but you can take my, you can take this whole world, but just give me Jesus. I'm trying to tell you that in this last hour that Jesus is getting ready to come back, but what I'm trying to preach to Connection Point 
Point Church is a faith that is resolute and determined that no matter what's shaken in this world, no matter what is said in this world, no matter what happens in this world, that I'm going to be established upon the hope and the promises of God because I've seen God do too much to turn away from him now. Can we bow our heads all over this place? There's more I want to preach and there's more we're going to say. But I want you to understand right off the very beginning is that when you deal with the realities and wrestle with the difficulties of life and you find yourself asking those questions, how can bad things happen to good people and why is life sometimes so seemingly unfair? The very first thing you've got to make up in your mind and you've got to determine in your soul is what is going to be my confession when I get to the end of this question. What am I going to declare? And I don't know about you, but I've already made up my mind that I know that I know that I know that no matter how it seems right now, no matter what the enemy whispers in my ear, you can't convince me that God isn't good. You can't convince me that God isn't real. You can't, I've just know, I know that I know that God is going to see me through this situation. Can we just lift our hands? Come on, I'm trying to preach faith to somebody today. Hallelujah. Come on, I'm trying to just preach faith to somebody today. Come on, I want you to get your proclamation back. I want you to get your declaration back. I want you to get your confession back. I want you to get your faith back. I want you to get your praise back. I want you to get your worship back. I know life has thrown you some low blows. I know life has hit you hard and it keeps on coming. I know you find yourself turned around and mixed up. But what I've come to tell you is that God is still God in the midst of your storm. And if you will put your faith back in the Lord, if you will just worship God, if you will just lift your your hand one more time if you will just declare that I know that he's real that I know that he's here that I know that he's good that I know he's going to see me through I might be walking through a dark midnight hour right now but I want to tell you I've seen God take me through too many times to turn my back on him now 